0: Good morning, Lakeview Church. I'm pretty happy. Do I look happy? I might be a little bit tired. Uh, Do I look tired? Uh, Don't answer that. Um, I'm happy because the NHL season started this week. I'm tired because I've stayed up every night trying to catch just at least a little bit of the West Coast games which start really late, and they go really long. But the NHL season is here, and it's a wonderful thing. And I have been waiting for this week, and so I wasn't going to miss any opportunity to watch hockey. It's just been so great. And the fans are back, and it's just wonderful. It's the way the world is meant to be. I was thinking about it this morning. Uh, I set my alarm Uh, Sunday morning, my alarm goes off earlier than any other day during the week, and it goes off pretty early every day of the week, but on Sundays, it goes off a little bit earlier. But this morning, I beat the alarm. I beat the alarm by about 45 minutes when at 3.30 this morning, I woke up. And when I woke up, I didn't wake up in any kind of panic or any kind of distress. I woke up, and the very first thought that came to my mind was not hockey, It was, today is the day I get to gather with the people I really love. I was excited and pleased and happy when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord together and let's worship him. That's what I thought of when I woke up this morning, because as much as I love hockey, I love this hour that we spend together every single week more than anything else that I do in life. This is our lifeblood as followers of Jesus Christ, to gather together as his people. And so whether you're here in the room or whether you're joining us online today, as many of you do week in and week out, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. When we gather like this, God is here in our midst. He never, ever fails to fulfill his promise, that when we gather in his name, he's right here in our midst. And as we enter into these moments of praise, God inhabits the praises of his people. And this is a wonderful time that we get to spend together in his presence. We're going to continue on in our message series, but before we go any further, I know that we have already prayed in this service, but I want to just pray again and ask God to speak to us in these next few minutes. So would you pray with me? God, this morning we have heard of your grace and your goodness. Lord, not just in some kind of abstract way, but we've heard about it in the form of a testimony. of One of our brothers who found himself in a dark place, in need of your grace and in need of your power and in that place and in that moment, you met him there. And you didn't just forgive him, but you set him free. And Lord, we give you thanks and praise for that. And God, even as we've been singing about, Lord, we are grateful for the way that you work in our lives and we give you all of the praise this morning. I pray, God, now as we spend just these next few moments looking at these verses that were just read, would you open our hearts, our souls, our minds to hear your voice and your truth? And may this time today be a time where you call us into the freedom that you have made possible for each and every one of us to experience. And God, for what you do, we're going to give you the thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, and everyone who agreed said, Amen. Amen. Here at Lakeview Church, we say this quite frequently if you haven't picked up on it, but we're an everyday church for everyday people, where every single day we follow Jesus, we live generously, we make a difference. See, we believe that God calls each and every person into that kind of life where they set their eyes on Jesus Christ and they follow him. They they do whatever it takes to, to become like him, to set their gaze on him. And as we do that, we can't help but become more generous. Because Jesus himself was generous, and so we learn to take everything that God has given us, our time, our talents, and our resources, and and we learn to share them generously. And as we do that over the course of our lifetime, God uses those things that he has given to us to make a difference in this world for good and for God. And so we call people into that kind of life, but we know that as we enter into that kind of life that there are things in this world that weigh us down. There are sins that trip us up, that, that seek to keep us from living the fullest expression of that life, the life that God calls us to live. And so we've been in this series this fall where we've kind of been thinking about the words of the, the writer of the book of Hebrews in chapter 12 when he says, you've got this great cloud of witnesses and they're watching you as you live this life of faith. These great cloud of witnesses, as they're watching, that requires you to take this life even more seriously, to throw off every weight that slows you down and the sin that would easily trip you up so that you can run the race that's been marked out for you to run. And you do this by fixing your eyes on Jesus, the champion of our faith, the one who initiates and perfects this faith journey in our lives. And we've just been asking the question this fall, what does it take for us in our lives to throw off every weight, to get rid of the sin that so easily trips us up so that we can run this race freely without anything holding us back? And we've been looking at this book of Romans. It's a letter written by Paul to a group of Christians in first century Rome, a group of Christians made up of Jews and Gentiles, and he writes to them about all of these realities of the faith, sin and grace. He writes about God's anger and God's love. He writes about uh, God's justice and God's wrath. He writes about God's love and acceptance of us as his people. And we've been looking at this passage, uh, passages throughout the book of Romans, and we've just been asking, God, what, what do you want to teach us from your word about how to live free? And we've been calling this series The Road to Freedom, and this morning we're going to look at those verses that were read for you from Romans 5 and 6, and we're going to talk about the fact that, uh, that, that what these verses say to us, well, it's a matter of life and death, and there are three big ideas that I want to share with you just very quickly from these verses this morning. And the first one is uh, what Paul shares about sin and grace. Paul begins uh, these verses that were read for us in Romans chapter 5 beginning in verse 20 with these words. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What Paul's saying in these couple of verses here is really just a a kind of summary of everything he has said so far in this letter. He's reminding us that human beings, we are sinful people. We're born this way. I was talking with someone this week and I was just talking about the fact that we don't ever have to take our kids to a class to learn how to sin. They just figure it out. It's built into us. And and Paul says this. Paul says the reason the law is given is so that we could learn what it means to be sinful human beings. And in fact, as the law was revealed, we not only realized our sinfulness, but we sin more and more. And yet, even as we found ourselves as sinful human beings, God's wonderful grace was poured out. It became more and more abundant, even in the midst of our sin. And we've been saying this throughout the series, that as human beings, we are born as sinful people. That God has a plan, an intention, a purpose for our lives, a a target that he's aimed our lives at. And yet, we find ourselves as followers, uh, not of Jesus, but as followers of our own selfish desires. We've missed the mark. God aimed our lives at a target and we missed the mark. We decided to go a different direction. And as a result of that, God is angry at us, right? We, because he's holy and he's just and we have ignored his word and gone our own way. God looks at that and says, that's not acceptable. And he's angry about it. And yet, In his anger, he doesn't act in wrath and vengeance like we might expect him to. No, God, in his anger, acts in love and mercy and says, what you cannot do for yourselves, I will do on your behalf. I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, and he's going to give his life on the cross. He's going to pay the penalty for your sin so that when you believe in him, you can get back on track with God. You can be made right with God once again. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. And Paul writes these these words in the end of chapter five to say, listen, there's two realities in this world. There's your sin, but there's God's grace. And we've already talked about it in this service. But Paul either heard this question asked or he thought that they might be thinking it. And so he raises a a question, and it's a key question. Should we keep sinning so we can show off God's grace? I mean, think about it. There's a little bit of reason here that that plays into a question like this, right? Right? If we were supposed to go this direction, but we went this direction instead, and God is angry at us, but in his grace, he makes a way for us to be forgiven and made right with God, even though we didn't go the way he wanted us to go. And, and by believing in Jesus and, and receiving his grace, we're forgiven and we're changed and we're made new. And, and all of the stuff that we've done that isn't what God had planned for our lives is just washed away. Shouldn't we keep doing things that God doesn't want us to do so he can keep forgiving us? Because every time he forgives us, his grace gets put on display for all the world to see. Again, there's a little bit of reason there. But I actually think the the main purpose for asking a question like this, which he he kind of frames up in chapter 6, verse 1, right? Shall we keep on sinning so that God's grace can grow, so that God's grace can abound more and more? This is the question Paul's asking. Why is he asking this? Here's why I think he's asking this question in Romans 6. Because he's talking to a, a group of people who missed the mark, right? They, they were aimed this direction by God, but they went this direction instead. And they behaved in ways that were sinful, right? Remember Romans chapter 1? He lists out all of the things that they were doing that were just opposed to God. So they're behaving in ways that don't honor God. And their life is aimed in the wrong direction. It's not going the way God wants it to go. And then God, in his grace and mercy, saves them. They're forgiven. All of the behaviors they've done that were wrong, they're wiped away. The slate is made clean. And in that moment, God picks their life up, puts them back on the right track, and sends them in the right direction again. They've now been made right with God. They're justified. They've been brought back together with him, just like they're supposed to be. And knowing those two things to be true, that they've been forgiven of their sin and they've been made right with God, and then they wake up the next morning and they still want to go that way. I think that's why they're asking this question. I think that's why Paul's framing it up this way, because the Christian experience, if we're honest, if we're honest... We are forgiven of our sins, we're made right with God, we're put on the right path, but but again, if we're honest with our Christian experience, even though God's done all of those wonderful things in our lives, many of us, if not all of us, find ourselves being pulled in this direction that we don't wanna go. We want to go the way God has called us to go, but we find ourselves continuing to be pulled in this direction. And so I think they're asking the question, can't we have our cake and eat it too? Can't we be made right with God, forgiven of our sins, and keep sinning? And they kind of find a way to justify it, which we often find a way to do in our lives. Right? Wouldn't that be helpful to God? Right? If, we, if we lived on the right path, we we're made right with God, forgiven of our sins, but we still get to do the things that we feel like we're drawn to do. And every time we do, we can just repent and God will forgive us. And then we can say, look at the grace of God. It's amazing. And then the next morning, we can start it all over again. And then we repent and God forgives us because every time that we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just. He'll forgive us our sins. He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we we find ourselves, especially early in our Christian lives and maybe late in our Christian lives if you haven't heard the message that I'm gonna share with you today. Living divided realities. Made right with God, forgiven of our sins, really wanting to be Christians, but drawn to a life that doesn't honor God. And I know I keep pointing to this side like you're the ones that don't honor God, but it's because you have a Penguins fan in your midst. (laughs) There's Penguin fans over here too, I think. It's okay. I won't hurt you. I promise. I promise. Listen, we live divided lives many times as we start our Christian journey. And many people, many people live a divided Christian life the entirety of their faith journey. Because they're justified. They're made right with God. They're forgiven of their sins, but there is a draw. To to live out the life that they came from, even while they really want to live for God. This happens to almost everybody in the Christian journey. Which brings me to the second big idea from this particular passage. Paul talks about sin and grace, but this is the first time, really, in the book of Romans that he starts to talk about captivity and freedom. See, up to this point, the series could have been called The Road to Forgiveness, but it really is The Road to Freedom, and we're going to start talking about freedom today. Because what Paul is talking about here in in these verses, particularly in chapter 6, is that there's sin and grace, but after we experience God's grace that forgives us, we have to deal with the fact that we are held captive... Not by our behaviors, but by the power of sin that keeps drawing us to go down a different road than the one God intends for us to go down. And that's what holds us captive. But that's not the way God intends for us to live our lives. So let's go back to the scriptures, because that's what we're studying Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. This is what Paul says. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Now, I don't know if if you catch this in these verses, but what Paul's doing here is Paul is talking about sin in a different way than he has talked about sin at any other point in the book of Romans up to this moment. Up to this moment, he's talked about sinful behavior, the things that you and I do that are outside of God's plan and desire for human beings, things that we need to be forgiven for. And I want to be really clear, there are behaviors that God has determined are sinful and evil behaviors, and if we participate in those, we find ourselves needing forgiveness from God to cover those sins in our life. Paul talks about that really clearly in Romans chapter 1. He talks about in Romans chapter 3, sin as the idea of missing the mark, and that's more than just behaviors that we engage in, though it includes that. It's really more of a trajectory of our lives, like where are our lives aimed? Are they aimed at God's purpose, plan, and intention, or are they aimed in a different direction? But in Romans chapter 6, Paul goes one more step. And he says the reason that Christians, after they experience God's grace, instead of just following after God's plan for their lives, keep being pulled back to this other way of living is because sin is not just behaviors and it's not just a trajectory of your life. It is actually a power that is inside of you. It's a, it's a force It's a bent of your soul away from the things of God. It's a nature that drives you away from God's plan, purpose, and intention into the things that will destroy your life and lead to death if you leave it unchecked. This is what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 6. He's not talking about behaviors. He's not talking about trajectory. He's talking about captivity that you and I are held captive to sin in our lives, and we are. In fact, Paul uses the word, uh, the, the word picture, slaves to sin. In essence, what he's saying is that we find ourselves as human beings not just doing sinful things, not just being aimed in a direction that's off from God's mark in our lives, But we find ourselves in a place where sin is actually our master. And it wields its power to control us, to oppress us, and to drive us away from God and into things that will destroy us and lead us into death. This is what Paul's talking about when he talks about the power of sin. Now, I know that this might seem like a... Maybe too complex of a message for a Sunday morning, but hang with me, please. Because Paul doesn't write these words to say, you should be discouraged and defeated. That's not what he's writing about. He's not saying, yeah, "Yeah, good job getting over the behaviors, good job reorienting your lives, but there's this power and there's nothing you can do about it. That's not what Paul's writing at all. Paul actually writes in these verses that sin has lost its power because of the crucifixion of Christ. You don't have to be a slave to sin any longer. Why? Because Jesus died and he was raised again and you've been set free now. It's not just about captivity, it's about freedom. It's about freedom. So how do we find this freedom in our lives? That brings me to the third big idea from these verses, and it's life and death. You see, the way that we find freedom really is understanding that it's a matter of life and death. I want you to look at these verses with me. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 10. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. And the he in this verse is Jesus. So when Jesus died, he broke the power of sin. Now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also, verse 11, you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. You see, finding freedom is a matter of life and death. More correctly, it's, a, it's really a matter of death and life. You see, you and I are called as followers of Jesus Christ not just to ask for forgiveness, not just to be made right with God and put back on the right path, but we are actually called by God to pursue freedom and to live in freedom. One of my pastors and mentors in my life, Pastor Steve Deneff, is fond of saying that as the church, we must stop asking for forgiveness and we must start asking for freedom. And he is absolutely correct. God does not invite us into a journey of just sinning and repenting and receiving forgiveness over and over and over and over again. No, he actually invites us to be forgiven, to be put on the right path, and then to walk into the freedom that Christ has made available for you and for me. You see, we have to die to ourselves. We have to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive To God. This is how freedom works. And so we go back now to Romans chapter 6, verse 1, and we listen to Paul's argument. Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Verse 2 Of course not. Of course not. That's not the way to demonstrate God's grace to the world. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten, verse 3, that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? Verse 4, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Here's what I want you to know today. Grace can do more than just forgive you. Grace can set you free. And if you want to put God's grace on display for the world, you don't do it by being a Christian who continues to sin. No, you put God's grace on display by being a Christian who's been forgiven of your sins, and through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you walk into the freedom that Christ has made possible through his death and through his resurrection. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Not just that you can be forgiven, but that you can be set free. So, as we bring this to a close this morning, there are a few possible next steps that you might want to take and i want to just kind of outline a few of them for you first and foremost some of you in this room you need to let god's grace make you right with him some of you in this room right now you are you are described not as the christian who's been put back on the right path who continues to sin you're the person who has never made that decision You've never believed in Jesus. You've never declared him to be your Lord. You've never received his gift of grace in the first place. And you're still on that path. You're missing the mark. You're engaged in sinful behaviors. You're engaged in a sinful lifestyle. And God is inviting you back to himself. He's inviting you to accept the gift that he's made possible through the person and work of Jesus Christ so that you can be forgiven and so that you can be put back on the right path. And you need to let God's grace make you right with him again. And I want to encourage you today, if that's you, to take that step of faith. Put your belief and your trust in Jesus and let him save your soul and let him change your life. Second possible next step is that uh, there are some of you in this room and you need to recognize that you have actually been set free from the power of sin. There are Christians, I talk to them all the time, We grab coffee, we sit down and they talk about the struggle of sin in their life that even though they wanna follow Jesus, even though they wanna live for Jesus, even though they wanna honor and please Jesus with their lives, they find themselves so many times being drawn back into that old way of living and it's because they view sin as a behavior or a trajectory in their life but they haven't recognized that sin also has a power over us. And that power has been broken by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Christian today, if you are a follower of Jesus, but you can't seem to break free from the old way of living, I want to let you know Jesus has set you free. Your chains are already broken. You just need to walk into the freedom that he has already given to you. Through the help of the Holy Spirit, walk into that freedom and live a victorious Christian life. And some of you need to hear that today. And then a third possible next step for some of you in this room. Some of you have been walking with Jesus for a long time, and some of you have been walking with Jesus for a few weeks, a few months. Some of you, maybe for a few minutes, maybe just a couple of minutes ago when I said you should believe in Jesus, maybe someone in this room decided to believe in Jesus in that moment, and in that moment, your sins were forgiven and your life was changed. Whether you've been walking with Jesus for a few minutes or a few decades, if you've never walked into the waters of baptism, I want to invite you to do that. I want to invite you to do that. Because baptism is part of the Christian faith journey. You say, how do you see that? How How does that play out? Why in the world would somebody need to get in the tub of water and be baptized as part of this Christian journey? Well, there are a few reasons we practice baptism. One, because our founder was baptized. Jesus himself walked into the waters of baptism. And ever since then, when the church was was started over 2,000 years ago, followers of Jesus Christ have walked into the waters of baptism as one way to proclaim that Jesus is my Lord. That's one of the reasons we practice baptism. A second reason is because Jesus commanded it that ought to be enough, just just those two. He set the example and then he commanded it. He said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations and here's the way that you make them disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and then teach them to obey everything that I have commanded. We practice baptism because Jesus set the example and he commanded us as his followers to practice it. And so we do. But the third reason, that we practice baptism comes right out of Romans chapter 6. Because in the act of baptism, we join with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. The reason that we practice baptism by immersion here at Lakeview Church is because when a person goes under the waters of baptism, they are actually joining Christ in his death. We are crucified with Christ, and we're buried with him in the waters of baptism. And then, we come up out of the waters of baptism, and in that moment, we are joined with Christ in his resurrection, and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit in that moment to begin to live a new, victorious Christian life that God has called each and every one of us to live. We are buried with Christ, and we are raised to new life. We join Christ in his death and in his resurrection. That's why we practice baptism. And some of you, again, you've been Christians maybe for a few minutes, maybe for a few decades, and you've never gotten into the waters of baptism. I just invite you to take that next step in your spiritual journey. Take that next step in your spiritual journey. Because it is an important part of the faith journey to publicly profess your faith, to join the church, to follow the example of Jesus, and to be joined with him in his death and his resurrection. And so, as we wrap up this morning, I want to invite everybody in this room, bow your heads, close your eyes. Just for a moment of personal reflection, we've talked about some possible next steps that you could take. And whether you're here in this room or whether you're joining with us online, I just want to invite you to take a moment to consider which one of these next steps should I take. In these next few minutes here, I'm just gonna ask you to signify your commitment to take one of these next steps. And so if you're here this morning, and you find yourself in a place where you know you're living on the wrong path, and you need to accept Jesus as your Savior. You need to put your faith in him so that your sins can be forgiven and you can be made right with God. If that is you this morning, I just want you to raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you or point you out or ask you to do anything. I just want to be able to pray for you and acknowledge the commitment that you are making. So if that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand high so that we can see that? Okay there may be people in the room this morning not who need to accept Jesus but people who have already accepted Jesus but you're not living in freedom today. You're not living a victorious Christian life. You're caught in that repeating cycle of sin, repent, forgiveness, sin, repent, forgiveness. But today You've heard that there's freedom that Christ has already made possible. And today you're one of the people who says, you know what, I need to walk into that freedom. And if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand just so that I can acknowledge that that's you today. And I'm going to pray for you. Yeah, there are people raising their hands right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, hands up all across this room. You can put your hands down. And then lastly, this morning, there are some people who have felt prompted, as you've heard about baptism this morning, to say, you know what? I need to be baptized. And at the next opportunity, uh, I'm going to step into the waters of baptism. I'm making that commitment this morning. And if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. Yeah, people are raising their hands. Yeah. Good. Good. You can put your hands down. Let's pray together. God, I just want to come before you right now and want to pray for my brothers and sisters all across this room, people that are gathered here in this physical space, and people who are joining us online this morning. God, you're working in our hearts. You're working in our lives, and Lord, I, I particularly pray for those who uh, just want to walk into freedom today. God, there's there's really nothing magical or mystical about it, the victory has been won, period. I just simply pray, God, that you would let us, as your people, walk in freedom, the freedom that you have made possible for us through your death and resurrection. Jesus, please, please break the cycle of sin, repentance, forgiveness in our lives and help us to find new levels of freedom with your grace and your mercy and your power at work in our lives. And then, God, for those who have said, I want to step into the waters of baptism, Lord, I just pray that you would... Continue to guide and direct each one of them. And Lord, I pray for their baptism, Lord, that as they walk into the waters of baptism, that it would be a powerful, powerful moment infused with your grace and with the power of the Holy Spirit that they would be joined with Christ in his death and in his resurrection and they would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a new life for the glory of God, putting your grace on display for the world to see. And God, for everything that you do in and through my brothers and sisters and this community of faith, we are going to give you all of the thanks and all of the praise. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.